As Cam said, we're going to read the um, entirety of Acts 28. Um, it's on the screen and um, in very tiny writing in your news sheets. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us into his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honoured us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered on the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Putoli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they travelled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they'd assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. 
He witnessed to them from morning to evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Well, thank you, Lisa. And good to see you all here today. Narilla and I had a good week's holiday last week. One of my favourite epic stories is this one, of course, The Lord of the Rings. Um, It's possible that you've never read it because you couldn't stomach the idea of reading a book that long, right? I loved it because it was so long. Did you know that Tolkien himself said the only regret he had about writing this book is that it wasn't long enough? Okay, now this book, of course, is three books. The first two books have endings which aren't really endings. They leave you hanging. They leave you itching to find what comes next. The first book, The Fellowship of the Ring, ends with the fellowship broken, the parties separated. So Gandalf, we think, has fallen to his death into the abyss with the Balrog. Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli, they're off chasing the orcs who've kidnapped Merry and Pippin. Frodo and Sam have begun their long journey alone to Mordor. Will they make it? We're left hanging. Then comes the second book. That book, The Two Towers, ends with a victory over Saruman and the orcs. But then we think, well, what of the final battle with Sauron? If you've never read this, you know, it makes no sense, right? (laughs) Sam and Frodo still need to get to Mordor to destroy the ring. So much is left unresolved. Now, we've just heard the end of Luke's second book, right? In his epic tale. The first book was the Gospel of Luke, uh, detailing all that Jesus did until the day that he was taken up to heaven. The second book goes on from that moment because the first book is unfinished, it leaves you hanging. The second book goes on from that to the scene we've just heard described. Paul is in Rome, he's welcoming everyone to his rented house, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, he's teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ boldly and without hindrance. It's an epic tale, but however, by the end of the second book, guess what, it's not finished. It's not finished. Um, The ending of Luke's second book is like the ending of Tolkien's second book. It's an ending, but it's not the end. So much is left hanging. So for starters, Jesus, at the beginning of Acts, laid out the program. His disciples were to be his witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria 
and then to the ends of the earth. Well, guess what? Acts finishes with Paul in Rome. Rome is not the ends of the earth. Back then, even with their limited knowledge, the ends of the earth was Spain, India, Germany, and Ethiopia. That's how far they thought the world went. Rome was at the center of the known world, but it wasn't at its farthest reaches. And then we're expecting, of course, in, in the book of Acts, the book to end differently, with Paul before Caesar. Jesus himself said that Paul would speak of him to Gentile kings, and we've heard numerous trials that Paul's been on before Jewish elders, Roman governors, the Jewish king Herod. What about Gentile kings? And there is no greater Gentile king than Caesar. Well, in chapter 27, the angel of the Lord told Paul he'd make it to Rome to testify before Caesar. So shouldn't that have been the great climactic ending of Luke's second volume? But it's not. Instead, we have Paul under house arrest in chains. And chains! If Acts didn't end with Paul witnessing before Caesar, surely we'd have thought it'd end this way, with Paul, who's Jesus' great ambassador, great messenger, and missionary freely traveling to uncharted territory on a new missionary journey, reaching the nations. After all, Luke has been reminding us that the word of God is unstoppable in its power. In Acts chapter six, the word of God spread. In Acts chapter eight, the Samaritans accepted the word of God. In Acts 11, the Gentiles received the word of God. In Acts 12, the word of God continued to spread and to flourish. In Acts 13, the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region of Galatia. In Acts 19, all the Jews and Greeks who live in the province of Asia, that's a massive area, heard the word of the Lord and in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Given that the gospel is unstoppable, the ending with Paul in chains, it's not the ending we'd have thought. And that makes us wonder when we read the last verses that you know, Luke says Paul preached boldly and without hindrance. Is that a little bit like that Monty Python skit from The Meaning of Life? You know, when King Arthur, you know, comes up to the black knight and, you know, chops off his arm and he says, don't worry, it's only a flesh wound, come on, I'll have you, chop goes the other arm, don't worry, don't worry. Is it hopelessly optimistic like that? Well, no, because the ending of the book is no mistake. God is speaking to us through this chapter of the end. This is an ending which is realistic and it's encouraging and we need encouragement because guess what? We're involved in the ongoing tale, the writing of the next chapter, the final book, which he's writing before the return of the king. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to be encouraged by your word, which is powerful and unstoppable. Amen. Acts 28, when you open it up, has two halves and a conclusion. The first half is all about Paul finally coming to Rome. The second half is about him bearing witness to Jesus when he's in Rome. So we've got coming to Rome, being in Rome. And then the conclusion makes sense of both of those halves. The first half reads a bit like last week's chapter. How did you describe it, Ellis? The biggest ball pass in the season. I was listening. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. After surviving the shipwreck, Paul and those on board find themselves on the island of Malta, right over to the left of the screen. 
And of all the things that happen there, Luke focuses in on two. First of all, the snake. So having listened to Paul, they've survived, the sailors have survived the storm, they've survived the shipwreck, they've made it ashore, clambered up the beach, they've met the locals who helped them build a fire. Paul steps in to help, he picks up some brushwood, and now there's this snake with fangs in, hanging from his arm. The islanders think, he's got to have done something terrible for the gods to punish him in this way. I mean, imagining dying from a snake bite. Except, of course, he didn't. He doesn't die from a snake bite. He shakes off the snake into the fire. He has no fever, no sudden swelling, no falling down dead. No ill effects whatsoever. What do we make of this? Well... Second event, then Paul and the others are put up by the governor of the island, Publius. His dad is sick in bed with dysentery. Now, dysentery is often fatal. Paul goes in to seize him, prays, places his hands on him, and heals him. And then the rest of the sick people on the island hear about this, and they come to Paul, and Paul heals them. What do we make of that? And why does Luke include those two things and records nothing of any evangelistic address that Paul would have given, because you can bet your bottom dollar he would have done it. He was there for three months. I mean, he's the, you know, he's the apostle of Jesus. He, you wouldn't have been able to shut him up. Why doesn't Luke record any of that, and why does he zero in on these miracles? Well, the answer is that God is endorsing Paul to us as Jesus' messenger. When Jesus first sent out his 72 disciples on mission. They came back in Luke chapter 10 full of joy and Jesus says, I've given you authority over snakes and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. In the Bible, we know that Satan is presented first of all as a snake. Well, here, Paul survives the snake. It does him no harm. We're meant to see this is God's divine endorsement of Paul as the messenger of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Same with the healings. We're just like, sorry, when you think about them, they are just like Jesus' healings that he does when he's in Capernaum in Mark chapter one. There Jesus finds Simon Peter's mother-in-law in bed with a fever and Jesus heals her. And then all the sick people in that town come to Jesus and he heals them. Well, Paul doesn't heal a mother-in-law, he heals a father, but then all the sick people on the island come to him and he heals them. It's very, very similar. It's not saying that Paul is Jesus, it's not saying Paul is the same as Jesus, Paul doesn't have that power in himself, we note that he prayed before he healed, but rather it's the risen Jesus doing his healings through Paul, who's his legitimate apostle and messenger. God is endorsing Jesus, again, as, um, God, sorry, God is endorsing Paul as Jesus' legitimate messenger. And he comes with the authority of Jesus himself. Okay, so there's this divine endorsement of Paul as Jesus' messenger. Now, of course, Paul knew that he was Jesus' messenger. So what value is this to him? Well, I think it would have been encouraging for Paul to have this endorsement once again. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says that the things that mark out an apostle are signs, wonders, and miracles. Being able to do this before his big 
moment in Rome before Caesar would have been a massive encouragement to him. God was still backing him as Jesus' messenger. What else? The other standout feature in their time at Malta, aside from the healings, is the practical kindness shown to Paul and Luke by unbelievers. In verse two, Luke wrote that the islanders showed us unusual kindness. kindness. Uh, That word kindness is the word for love of your fellow man. Uh, This is something, of course, we're seeing across Europe now, people opening up their homes to refugees from the Ukraine. It is remarkable kindness, unusual kindness. Well, the same is being shown here to Paul and the others who survived the shipwreck. Kindness shown to them by unbelievers, by people who weren't Christians. And then there's Publius, the governor. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. And then verse 10, all the islanders honored honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. God encouraged Paul through this massive display of kindness shown to him from an unexpected quarter, from unbelievers. Okay, and then God encourages Paul further through the practical fellowship shown to Paul by believers. Now, if you squint on the top left-hand side, you can see the final legs of the journey from Malta to Rome, and part of it's by ship and part of it's on the land. Uh, that's covered in verses 11 to 16. Now again, from, instead of uh, Luke just saying this is how Paul got to Rome, he's highlighting God's encouragement of Jesus' messenger who is Paul. It happens through two sets of believing brothers and sisters. The first group were those from Putioli, I've never heard of that place, but there it is, it's a place. Paul had never ever met these Christians before. And yet, verse 14, we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a whole week with them. They were strangers, but brothers and sisters in the Lord. They showed them hospitality, invited them into the house for a week. Practical Christian hospitality and friendship. No doubt, a terrific encouragement to Paul. Next, verse 15, when the brothers and sisters at Rome heard that we were coming, they traveled down to meet us. Luke says, at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. And then Luke says, and so we came to Rome. Luke's description of this story focuses in on God's encouragement of Paul. God endorses Paul as Jesus' legitimate messenger, Jesus' ambassador. God encourages Paul through unusual kindness shown by unbelievers. God encourages Paul through the fellowship and kindness of Christian brothers and sisters. Now, why does God need to encourage Paul? Because although he was, yes, Jesus' messenger, he was human. He'd been in chains now for three years straight. He'd gone without food in a storm, been shipwrecked. No doubt that took it out of him. Coming to Rome, he'd have to stand before Caesar. Yes, he was Jesus' messenger, but he needed encouragement. And God was with him. God gave him that encouragement through miracles, through the kindness of unbelievers, through the fellowship of believing um, Christians. We need encouragement This is saying God is the great encourager. He can bring encouragement in your life. On the basis of that encouragement, the second half of the chapter has Paul bearing witness in Rome. 
First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. First to the Jews, because the news of Jesus belonged first to them. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. They had been explicitly waiting for him for a thousand years, and his coming had been hinted at long before that. They needed to hear that finally, God had sent the one they were looking for, and his name was Jesus. So three days after arriving, Paul calls together the local Jewish leaders, and he clears the air about any bad reports or concerns they may have had about him. After all, <laughs> he's Jesus' ambassador, but he's been on the nose to the Jews elsewhere. Well, they haven't heard any bad reports about him. How refreshing. Uh, they're interested in hearing, however, about this sect, which is what they call Christianity. Now, when we use the word sect, it has a negative connotation. Uh, we think that word means cult, right? The word sect didn't have a negative connotation back then. It's, it just meant a different group within Judaism. And they're interested. So they settle on a place and time for a bigger meeting and the people come together and, and Paul speaks to them. And we read that he witnessed to them from morning to evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. So here is the divinely endorsed apostle by Jesus, of Jesus, sent by Jesus, endorsed by God, coming with the authority of the Jewish Messiah. He speaks to the very people who have been waiting for him for centuries. What do you think the result will be? Well, we read that some were convinced by what Paul said, but others just would not believe. It's not that they couldn't believe, it's that they wouldn't believe. It was an active, continual refusal to believe. You can imagine them sitting there with fold arm, folded arms while Paul is doing his hardest for hours and hours and hours, going, nup, 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 nup. I'm not believing, all right? Now, what would you do if you were Paul? You'd been at it solidly all day. You've tried every trick in the book, every argument, no tricks, sorry, but arguments. Um, he, he's really trying to persuade them from their own scriptures. And despite his best efforts, they would not listen or believe. Well, Paul makes a final statement. And he wants them to see that they're responsible and their decision not to believe, and it is a decision, that has consequences. Now, it may be here that you are someone who is in the Jewish camp. Nup, 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 nup. Maybe you have been dragged here under false pretense or, you know, just to keep your friend happy or something like that. But really, in your heart, you're going, nup, 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 nup. Well, come to Easter because Easter's, you know, for you, skeptics Easter, all right? Come to Easter. But I want you to see that there's consequences in refusing, continuing to refuse to believe. Paul makes the Jews see this. First of all, he says, you're responsible. He says, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. It'll look like you're hearing, it'll look like you're, you know, you're seeing things, but actually you're not. Because this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. It's active, right? Otherwise, if they, if they didn't do that, 
They might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and guess what? They would turn and God says, I would heal them. Now, Paul quotes this, and I have found this a little hard and confrontational when I've read Acts before. This quote, of course, this word was given to Isaiah the prophet 700 years before, when God first called Isaiah into ministry, and God effectively said to him, Isaiah, guess what? It's going to be extremely hard for you, because I am going to send you to people who are stubborn and thick-skinned and hard-hearted and just will not listen, even though if they did, I'd forgive them in a snap. The same passage, incidentally, was quoted by Jesus when he explained the parable of the sower and why most people, when they hear the word of God, won't take it in. Jesus is saying, and Paul is saying, you're responsible for refusing to listen. And, Paul says, it has consequences. Not only will they never find the forgiveness that God longs to bring them, but their refusal means that Paul He's not going to waste his time with them. They've heard it, they've heard it all day, but they're not going to keep on hearing it. You know, he's going now to the Gentiles and he says, and guess what, they will listen. And so, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles he now turns. And that's the conclusion of the book of Acts. Almost. For two whole years, Paul stayed in his own rented house, welcoming all who came to see him and proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's the end. And we're meant to be encouraged. Now, how, how is this encouraging? <laughs> Paul's in chains, right? He's not before Caesar. He's not before Caesar testifying about Jesus. He's not at the ends of the earth. He hasn't reached them yet. The ending of Luke's second volume, the book of Acts, is like the ending of the second book in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The story is still to be finished. In other words, the ending of the book of Acts is deliberately open-ended in its ending. We're meant to see that more still needs to happen. And so after three years of going through Acts, it's taken three years for us to get to this point, we end with God Please don't miss this. We end with God encouraging us to get on and complete the work by continuing Paul's ministry. And that's why next week, Mark Peterson from CMS, he is coming and he's speaking to us from Acts chapter 29. And you'll say, but there is no Acts 29. And that's the point. That chapter is still being written by people like you and me who are tasked along with all of Jesus' disciples to keep going in the work of reaching the ends of the earth with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To do that, God has given us at the end of the second book three special encouragements as we're tasked with continuing Paul's ministry. The first encouragement that he's given us, yet again, is that he has endorsed again Paul to us as Jesus' messenger. Now, sometimes, you know, we hear the view from people, I love Jesus, but I hate Paul, okay? Or, I just stick with the Gospels. 
If we are going to make disciples of all nations, we need Jesus and Paul. Jesus told us that to make disciples of all nations would mean teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. But guess what? It's in the letters of Paul in the New Testament, and Paul penned most of the New Testament, it's in his letters that we see what obeying Jesus looks like fleshed out for Christian communities. So if we're going to take seriously Jesus' agenda of teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, we need Paul. We need him. And also, we pick up from Paul his great heart for mission. He sees people with eternal lenses. Heaven, hell, separation from God, enemies, being under the wrath of God, reconciled with God, one with Christ, raised with Christ, inheritors of the the kingdom of God. He sees people through those lenses. And we need his lenses to see people rightly with the perspective of eternity. Um, We're only going to pay attention to Paul if we're absolutely convinced that he is the legitimate and true, divinely endorsed messenger of Jesus. We need to believe that. Jesus and Paul are not separate, they go together and we need them both. In this chapter, God is convincing us of this once again through the miracles on Malta, that's why they're there. God is endorsing again Paul to us as the legitimate messenger from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first encouragement. The second encouragement to us as we seek to win the the nations is that as we do so, guess what? God's going to be with us and he will himself encourage us. And he'll do it How? He'll do it through surprising ways. He'll do it through the generosity of unbelievers, normal people who aren't Christians. He will do it through that, and also through the fellowship and encouragement provided by believers. He will meet our needs in surprising ways. Kindness from people that we didn't expect, and encouragement from Christians that we've never met before, but who have the same Lord and the same heart to win the nations for Christ. He'll encourage us. He hasn't left us alone. And lastly, God encourages us that his word is not chained. You know, later on, Paul would write from a prison in Rome, not from the house, but from a prison, that although he was suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, God's word isn't chained. And it isn't. We've already heard that the gospel has unstoppable power. And so this second book finishes with Paul, yes, in chains, but the word of God not hindered. It keeps going out. Paul is in rented accommodation, there's a guard with him, and yet he is preaching and teaching boldly and unhindered for two whole years. The chains don't stop, stop him. He is keeping on going. More than that, it was from his time in chains later on in Rome that the gospel and the word of God kept going out. How so? Well, it was from there that he wrote the letter of Ephesians, the letter to the Philippians, the letter to the Colossians, and his New Testament letter to Philemon. And so we read these letters. The word of God has gone out. We're in Adelaide, 2,000 years later, on the other end of the world, and we're still hearing the word of God, which went out from Rome when Paul was in chains. Ephesians chapter three, verse one. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, 
for the sake of you Gentiles. Philippians 1.13, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Colossians 4.17, 4, remember my chains, grace be with you. Philemon, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And then of course, it's in prison that Paul would write the books of 1 and 2 Timothy. All of these books are God's words from Jesus' messenger, which we and billions of other Gentiles have also read and are still reading across the globe in lands that no one at the time, no Roman citizen, ever knew existed. Paul may have been in chains, but God's word isn't in chains, you see. So this is God's encouragement to us to continue in Paul's ministry to reach the nations with the message of Christ. And I started off comparing Luke's two books, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, with the first two books in Tolkien's trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. We've now read the end of the second book of the most epic tale of all, not The Lord of the Rings, but The Lord of the Nations, the Lord of all glory, the Lord of life and death, the tale of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is still writing the third book. And you and I have a chance to feature in it. And we may not know the details of the plot. We may not even have a major part. But he's certainly calling us to be involved. I want you to imagine that the book has been written. And then at the end of the book, when there's the return of the king, Christ, Christ comes... And imagine that he gathers everyone in this building as a church before him. And we are to answer him about the part that we played in the last chapter, the last book of that tale. He'll want us to have something to say. Now, part of our answer to whether we'll have something to say depends on whether we have opened ourselves up to hear the encouragement that God is giving us at the end of the second book. God has endorsed Paul for us. He's with us to encourage us. His word is unstoppable. So how are we going to feature in the final book? Father in heaven, stir our hearts and we pray that we would not be um, passive but we would be active in seeing Jesus' name reach the ends of the earth. We pray this for his glory, not ours. Amen.